0: Welcome back to the Weekly Roundup with the PSN Coaches. That's Mike, that's Jen, I'm Dylan. We are here with our show that we do every single week to talk about what's going on in the real estate industry, targeting agents as our true audience, because we coach um, about 70 agents in our different uh, coaching groups. Um, And every, every week, they're dealing with what's going on in the industry. They're dealing with slow markets, busy markets, multiple offers, no offers, no showings, New legislation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We are talking about TRESA, which is the Trust in Real Estate Services Act. It is replacing our old legislation and it's got a few changes, but a lot of it is staying the same. So I think, you know, with everything new that comes out, people get a little concerned about what they don't know. And I think the biggest thing that I would say is. Um, What I'm seeing is a lot of different scenarios being talked about. And so I think where people are getting the weeds is truly the unknown is we don't know how some of these new rules are going to play out in the real world. I think if you talk to a lot of agents to explain the differences that have been made, for the most part, it's business as usual. There's a couple more disclosures and stuff like that. But for the agents that are out there performing at a high level, we were doing a lot of that disclosing and talking with our clients anyway. So I don't think that that's all that different. I think the biggest thing probably comes with, you know, open bidding and now um, uh, more clearly defined self-represented individuals and what that looks like. So, you know, before we get into the weeds on that, Jen, you know, in your position with working with the brokerage, what are you guys seeing on your end and how is that how has that been? Because I know that you know at the top level everybody looks to their broker their broker of record with asking these questions and um yeah what what kind of stuff are you guys hearing and how's it looking on your end
1: um yeah i mean everybody is generally leaning into the the broker of record and the office of broker record here and and then our team is all well. and the main the main thing right now is a lack of clarity, um, and and that's a little bit you know coming from the top down. It the rollout was kind of right at the the point where we were switching. So with forms and with proper procedures and with you know even choices the brokerage had to make with the new legislation and how we were going to govern the representation piece of it. There's a lot of gray area there, um, and as a as a leadership team, you know we're getting clear on what what kind of everyone else is also doing to get an understanding of how the rest of the industry is looking at it talking to our peers talking to other brokerages getting feedback from how they're proceeding so that we can kind of make the best educated decision but you know we're lucky we have a great broker of records so he's very clear and has been kind of spending time learning and getting educated on exactly what it means so he's giving us great guidance um the the agent challenge is that they just. To haven't seen it in practice yet um, and because they haven't seen it in practice because it you know just rolled out december one um they're still concerned dylan you said it best it's the unknown right the what-if scenarios and we're hearing a lot of questions where people are really going into the weeds on the what-ifs um instead of just focusing on hey, here's that the main changes i need to know about and here's how i'm going to go implement it into my business, which is perfectly normal because change is scary change is hard and most people don't like change. Uh, And our brain is wired, it's literally hardwired to think of worst case scenarios when we don't know answers because it's trying to protect us from everything that could happen between this and that situation. That's how we're built, right? It's a survival instinct. So in any given instance, that happens no matter what. So that's what's happening right now because we have a lack of understanding or lack of execution. Everybody is in that unknown space and so there's a lot of spirals happening a lot of rabbit holes happening and there's a lot of concern over things that as far as we can tell from a top-down view like they're not they're not that big of a change right and and i think there's a lot of noise in our industry about this change there's quite a few things changing at once which is not helping we're compounding that discomfort that all of our agents are in so the timing is not ideal so we're dealing more with the discomfort of our agents than with a lack of understanding of what's actually happening, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And to go back to how you started that, um, you know, the lack of clarity from the top, from what I'm understanding and from what I know personally, that what you're saying there is from the governing bodies that are actually controlling this legislator and rolling it out. And then our organizations that actually get the forms to the realtors, because You would think with new legislation and new documents that need to be signed and disclosed and provided to clients, that as agents and an industry, we would have had that for months before it actually came into effect. Mm -hmm. But in reality, what's happening is changes were being made up until the very last day that this thing was then launched and are still being made. Um, So a a lot of agents don't even have the forms in their hand as of yet. Certain platforms have them. Other platforms that we use do not have them. Um, right. so I think that part is probably added to a little bit of the stress. It's like, okay, these rules are in effect as of now. And by the way, we'll be sending them to you later this afternoon. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's kind of how that rollout has felt. And, um, I think it's that messaging or that, that delivery that has made it so much more stressful for everybody. Cause Mike, I know you and I, when we both logged into our web forms, like the, the place where we used to actually create our documents and get them ready for our clients to sign and draft offers and agreements and all that stuff, our templates that you and I both use had converted automatically. There wasn't actually really any stress there, right? So how's how's your experience been with that? And do you think that it is more about, I guess, the whirlwind that's going around this than the actual practicality of what's changing?
2: Yeah, yeah. I kind of agree with Jen. Everybody doesn't like change. So the one thing that this is very difficult for a lot of people is that it's changing uh, the idea of all the changes and, and the way that they advertise it is you know, there's 90 different, you know, 90 forms that are either brand new or have been edited, but combined, there's 90 new and edited forms. And right away, when you say that to somebody, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so many things I'm going to have to learn. But when you actually break it down, uh, and I know for myself on Friday when this all launched, I took Friday to just update all of my forms to make sure I was completely up to date with everything. And nothing i didn't have to do it took me 10 minutes um because i went in and they already updated it for me which was awesome um but not only that but of the 90 forms that they had changed every single form it's like minor changes it's like maybe the verbiage or the way that they wrote it um has to change so it was very very little in comparison of what they kind of advertise it to be um but overall i would say my experience with it so far has been pretty decent um and the reason why i say that is because. The changes that have come into effect are going to open up our industry for more information for the consumer, right? With now we have a a consumer guide that everyone has to acknowledge prior to even doing a deal in real estate. And that provides the consumer themselves with more information, which is better for them because it's going to help protect them, right? And it's us as the realtors that need to decide what the best approach is for that client um, but by providing them with the information, they can also have a decision on that uh, as well, because a lot of the times, and I don't know if this is with you guys, a lot of the times, a lot of people just trust their realtor and they just say, Hey, just send me the forms and I'll sign it. And that, I don't know what the heck I'm signing. I don't know what's going on. Nothing. And they just sign blindly. Right. Mm-hmm. So this whole trust idea is to not only protect the real estate agent a little bit further, but also to educate the consumer a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to change our industry in, in a good way. And I really do think it will impact a good way. And a lot of people have negative things to say about it. But again, that's because change is always perceived as being something that's bad, right? But we're changing because of the fact that there has been so many things to have gone wrong that we need to make it more clear for consumers and more clear for realtors that this isn't a job um, that you could just do for fun, right? Like best example I could have is one of the most frustrating things for me and my clients is when an agent books are showing and they don't show up right? And it just happened to me on Sunday. And I had a phone call with that agent. And I said to him, uh, how did your showing go on Saturday? Said the property. And he goes, Oh, yeah, I know we didn't. We didn't show up. (laughs) Like just so nonchalant. Like, no, we didn't. We didn't do that. And I was like, why didn't you show up? Uh, Oh, we were too busy. Okay, so why didn't you cancel the showing? Um, You know, what? we forgot. Like that as itself in a profession, can you imagine saying that to your doctor saying that you're in an appointment with your doctor and then you get there and the doctor's like, Oh yeah, sorry. I forgot about you. Yeah. I, I, you don't have an appointment, yeah. right? It's so unprofessional and, and there's serious severe fines that come with that. And this new Tressa is, is opening up the field to make it more easier for consumers to complain about realtors, but also realtors to complain and say, guys, this is a professional, industry, we need to keep it professional as much as possible, right? We don't want those people that aren't taking it seriously involved. And we want to make sure that it's taken seriously, because you're helping people sell their biggest assets, right? So it does need some more, it does need some help Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the professional side.
0: You know what I want to talk about just real quick as a little aside as, as I, I listen to you, especially when talking about clients that just trust their agents and will just sign blindly without waiting for the explanation or asking questions. Um, you know, we aren't the only industry that needs help in this field, you know, with more disclosure, more explanation, more education for the consumer, more education for the client. Right. I was, I, I was in the hospital for a quick procedure just last week. And the nurse puts a, a big form in front of me and says, here, sign at the bottom. Doesn't explain any of it. I don't get a copy of it to look at it later. And so we're talking about our biggest purchase, but we're also talking about our health, like our life. You only get one of them. And again, I, I'm I'm there. There's a lineup of people behind me. It's sign this and let's move this thing along. And by the way, you don't get a copy to read this later. Like it's just there for their files, right? So, you know, looking at um, various industries, I think what's going to happen now is as much as you want to give... Realtors, a hard time, and the industry, a hard time. We totally deserve the hard time. I get it. But mm-hmm. in actuality, when you look at how much we're required to disclose and how much paperwork we're giving out, and everybody gets copies, and you have to keep track of that for X amount of years, like that's actually ahead of most industries. I would venture to big guess. Way ahead. Big yes. Way ahead. Yep. Yeah. And again, if you look at the healthcare industry where it's your life that's on the line, and that's the same kind of method that's going on, like, that's way worse than what's going on in real estate, right? And we know that all the horror stories that happen in the medical field too. So I think that at the end of the day, it's important to acknowledge that what the real estate industry is doing is a good thing. We are being proactive at taking steps kind of going yeah. forward, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. No, 100%. I totally agree with that. And it's another insight. And again, we get a lot of heat out in the in the real world, right? A lot of people hate us, right? And it's funny that they hate us because... We are honestly being, we're an open book. We're trying to give out as much information as possible. We're trying to help people as much as possible. Um, and I would say out of all the industries with in comparison to the mortgage industry, insurance industry, the healthcare industry, I don't think any industry is as head of the curve in terms of sharing information with clients and making sure they're fully aware of what they're signing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is incredible because it's allowing us to be more professional, right? And it's allowing the consumer to see exactly what it is that we're doing to help them out. Yeah. Um. Because there is, and again, maybe this is because of the fact that in the past, there has been so many bad things that have happened in the real estate industry, maybe not like in the recent years, but tens, uh, you know, 20 years ago, um, there's been a lot of stuff that has happened and that caused all this stuff to come out, right? And again, with Tressa being unveiled, it was more like, okay, guys, our last rule book was done in 2002. Um you know, some things have changed and we need to change with that, right? And we need to continue to grow as an industry. Um, and so, yes, is it a pain in the ass to do all the new forms? For sure, it will be. It will be for the next month. But you know what? Suck it up. This is the way the industry is going and this is what we have to do to do it, right? There's nothing you can do. And, and embrace it. Embrace the change. Be happy about it because to me, I love the idea that I can now, I have a full guide of walking my clients through the whole process because prior to that, I did already have my own guide, but it was my guide that I had to make. Now the real estate board has said, no, here's a pre-made guide that you can just show them. Right? So it actually took work off my load. Cause now I can just go with their template and say, these are all the things that they want me to cover with you. This is what's the most important, right? It takes a little bit of pressure off of me, which is great.
0: Yeah. I love that. And you know, actually on that, just to share, you know, more industry knowledge, I was in a forum today, where they were talking about that new guide and how, you know, Rico, who is our governing body for the ethics of our of our industry, um, built that guide and they built a website that makes it easy for you to send that guide to clients, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. Like that's fantastic, right? That That's proactive and, you know, good on them for doing that. And then listening to some of the experts, you know, a lawyer came on and said, because somebody was asking a question about that, because you don't receive a copy of the signed document. You just get an email alert saying that, they, uh, they had they had opened it and that they accepted it and like acknowledged it but you don't receive a copy of it so the lawyer pointed out that if you ever get sued you want to make sure that you have a copy of that that little email alert is not going to be enough to protect you Good to know. Court, right so it's again it's like there's there's the practicality of how this is going to get implemented and then there's how the governing bodies and the government and the legislature and all those guys figure it out and like it seems like a great thing but then you look at it and you're like right I don't know who acknowledged that. I don't have a signature on right. that. I don't have a copy. I don't have any yeah. of that stuff. I've just got an alert from a third party website that says that they clicked yes and that they opened it. Right. So yeah. it, it's it's the beginning step. So now we've learned that. Okay. If you really want to make sure that you're covered, put that in a sign an e signing platform. Send it off and keep it for your records. Just yeah, like we do with the list of things that they're going to sign because they're going to still sign. Working with a realtor, they're still going to sign agency agreements, whether it be buyer or seller depending on yeah. who you're working with. So I think it's one of those things like we are going to learn best practices as we continue to, to move along.
2: Yeah. and I also want to kind of throw in there too, is with this whole uh, self-represented party that people can now represent themselves, which is great for people that want to do that. But I think that's actually going to open up the industry to show why a realtor is so valuable to the mm-hmm. transaction and why it's so important to have it. Because prior to that, we had buyer customer service where you know, in my instance, when I provided buyer customer service, the buyer people, the clients, they thought I was their realtor, and mm-hmm. I had to like, like, guys, I am not your real estate agent. I am solely just writing on paper what you wanted me to write. Like, I am not giving you advice. I'm not guiding you. I have a fiduciary duty to my seller. Um, so the whole self-represented party thing is a great example as to why this industry is so important and why you do, why you should have representation. In the event of your, you know, you're buying a home, why would you not want a professional to review the process with you, sit down, guide you, and maybe show you something that you don't know. I know for myself, every year when I do my taxes, yeah, I could probably do my own taxes. Should I? Probably not, right? Because it's not my everyday job. So I don't know the common things that an accountant would know, and they're gonna save me in the long run just by doing it as a professional, right? Just like mm-hmm. with any other industry it is mortgage industry insurance industry yeah i could drive my car without insurance technically actually no i guess you can't i guess it's illegal but really? <laughs> yeah it's super illegal <laughs> never mind bad example but like there's so things that you could do that you probably shouldn't do um and there's reasons why we have the ability to work with professionals because that is the job and, and again it comes down to if you are a consumer you know, make sure you're finding the right professional for you because not, not everybody's the same. And as a real estate agent, um, make sure you are that right professional, right? So make sure that your systems are in place. Make sure that you're doing everything you can because this is a job, it's a profession, right? It's something that you have to take seriously. Um, and so make sure that when someone is trying to buy or sell their biggest asset, you're up to date with everything that's involved because that is super important. And it's going to make you stand out from a lot of the unprofessionals in our industry that. You know give us a bad rap right
1: yeah and that that's part of the whole reason this is happening right there's been a lot of um history of agents doing things whether intentional or unintentional just a lack of knowledge it's hard to know sometimes where where the consumer is the one who has the worst result that comes out of it because we sell such and i think that's why we're so regulated because what we deal with is usually such a huge financial piece, whether people's lives um, or their investments or whatever that might be, that it, it, it is an impact that could change the, the entire trajectory of someone's life if you handle it poorly or take advantage of them or whatever. And we all hear those horror stories. And the whole point of Cressa was to create a more fair environment within our industry so that there was complete clarity and fairness for buyers and complete clarity and fairness for sellers. The question that's going to arise from this is: Is that possible, right? With the concepts and the stuff we have that's coming out, it's it's put in place to create that, right? Our disclosures and um, you know a non-represented party versus even a consumer being something different than a non uh, an SRP or a, a non-represented person, right? So even that has to get washed out a little bit to figure out. Okay, even as agents, you know, as an at an open house, we get asked this question a lot right now. If someone comes into my open house and they're not represented, how do, are they a non-represented party or how do we approach that? Well, they're a consumer at that moment. They're not a non-represented party. And
0: just to jump in there, just to say self-represented as opposed to non-represented, because I think that's an interesting distinction there as well. Um, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yes,
1: self-represented. But at the same time, like a consumer is somebody that is interested in talking to you, maybe isn't represented by anybody, but is considering getting representation. A self-represented yeah. person is somebody who says, no, I am i don't want to hire you as a realtor. So now that the general public have that choice that they can make. Most people are still going to choose to hire a realtor, but it, yeah. it's just that space of going, okay, well, even as realtors, what does this mean for us? And mm-hmm. is there, realistically, can you make the industry fair for everybody. In a buyer's market, it's probably more fair for the buyers. In a seller's market, it leans more to the sellers. In a balanced market, maybe. Maybe that's when you you get a bit more of a win-win scenario going <laughs> on. But realistically, that that's what the legislation, like that's what its big vision was, to create that equality across the board and to be determined how that's gonna play out. But I think case by case and scenario yeah. by scenario, some pieces are gonna hold up. And some people, some pieces are not. And, you know, it, a lot of this is contract law. A lot of the changes are contract changes. Where When that's truly going to be tested is when it does end up in a court, what happens yeah. and when that occurs, then we're going to finally kind of have clarity, I think, on the act what's going to stick and what maybe is not going to stick of this plan, right? And One
2: hundred percent. And there's constant yeah. changes happening with that, right? It, it's one of those things that this is the start of something new, because again, the last one was in 2002, right? And we've been using it and editing that every single year since 2002. So this is the first time we finally said, no, we're going to revamp everything. Right. And so every single year as we go forward, there will be enhancements that will make it easier for the consumer and better for the consumer and better for realtors as well um, to, again, protect the real estate agent and to protect the consumer uh, as well, because at the end of the day, that's why we have these rules and regulations and the code of ethics and all this stuff. It's to make sure that as an industry we're more professional and the consumers have more information and are also protected as much as possible, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think what's what's totally clear yet, but one of the changes that they have made um, in regards to how agents are looking at, okay, I need to get clear on what is a represented individual and who is self-represented, right? I need to make sure that I'm showing the guide, that I'm explaining the different agency options and which way we're going to go down. And of course, we're being very clear that We are not supposed to supply any of our services, knowledge, or insight with a self-represented party because we don't want to blur those lines. We don't want them saying down the road, I was confused because so-and-so gave me this advice, right? So we're not allowed to do that anymore. And as Jen brought up the talk about what are agents allowed to then say at an open house, well, now we're getting very clearly like these are consumers that are coming at that point. They haven't raised their hand to say I'm a self-represented individual yet or that I would like to work with you yet. I'm simply a consumer seeking to get some more information. Now, if they tell you that they want to represent themselves, that's different. Then you shut it down. Or if they have another agent, same as always, you then shut it down. But it's getting a little bit more clarity on some of those services that we used to look at. Like I provide my database past clients information about what's going on in their neighborhood. I'm giving them market reports on what their home might be worth and stuff like that. Well, Now we're getting a little bit more clear that until that the real discussion has been had, a lot of that stuff is actually marketing, right? You're working with a potential consumer. It hasn't been decided one way or the other. That's just information. Now, when I explain, you know, working with a realtor, I'm going to make this as quick as possible, but I think it's important that we start outlining this because this is some of the new additions that you're going to have to discuss when you sit down with clients. So the way I've always explained it to people is like it's a team sport. I always use football, but you can say it's any team sport. There's a buyer team and a seller team. Each of those teams are allowed to hire their own coach, a buyer coach and a seller coach. Now, as your coach, I'm here to help you win the game. I'm invested. Your best interests are what I'm looking out for. I will never yell to the other team, hey, we're going to throw long or this is our strategy. Everything that we come up with together is for us to win the game. And they have their own coach that's going to do that for them as well. Then I say in multiple representations, say I bring a buyer to one of my own listings, then I become the referee. I take a step back. I'm not allowed to coach or give any insider recommendations. I just make sure the game is being played fairly and everybody has accurate information. And that's it. But now with the SRP, essentially, I think how I'm going to have to reframe that in part of that discussion is say, when you're choosing not to work with me or another agent, and it depends how you have that conversation, if you're going for a buy side or a sell side, but I would probably just explain it as simply as like, you are choosing to be your own coach. You are the own, mm-hmm. your own coach and the player in the game, and you are deciding to play the game against me and my client, my team. So I wanted to be very clear that I'm not helping you in any way. We're playing the same game together, but I am not offering you my guidance, insight. I can I can tell you maybe where the locker room is, but I can't tell you how to get there. I can't tell you where the training equipment is. I can't tell you which plays you should be practicing or what you should be running. I can't provide you any of that stuff. That is just for me and my team, or the other agent and their team, not for yourself. You have to bring all of that forward. So, Mike, I think to, to your point before is I think it's gonna it's gonna do a better job of educating the public that want to self represent themselves that they are missing a lot of other information. Yeah. And then a lot of people will say, well, I get the home prices online and I, you know, I'm a, a member of House Sigma or what any other platform that provides sold prices for you to get that data. Well, now it's clear that that data is just marketing. Yes, you absolutely have that information. You have marketing information, right? Nobody is giving you any guidance on that. And that's okay. Like those sale prices are accurate. But remember that is essentially now looked at as a marketing platform, not necessarily their, their job, House Sigma's job is to get you to sign up with them as their agents, as their brokerage. That's why as their coach as yeah. their coach. Yeah. They want yeah. you to hire them as their coach. That's why find out more about how Sigma or work with a house. Sigma agent is one of the top buttons. Anytime you look at those listings and the prices. So again, yeah. it's marketing, right? So do you want to be, do you want to hire a coach or do you want to be the coach and the player and go through this game without that experience? And there'll be some people that be like, yeah, I used to be a coach. I can do this on my own or whatever yeah. it might be. And that's totally okay. But I think it's just the explanation to be like, oh, yeah, maybe I don't have all that stuff. Maybe I don't know where the training facilities are. Maybe I don't know the plays. Maybe I don't know the rules of the game, right? So I think yeah, that... Yeah, I'll I dis- love
2: that reference. I'm think that's a, I'm actually going to steal that. I think that is the perfect way to reference working with a real estate agent versus not working with a real estate agent. Because when you just tell me, if you just said to me, Mike, we're going to pick any game, any game that both of us don't know how to play but you're going to play it without a coach and I'm going to play it with a coach. I'm already going to say to you, you've won the game because I don't know how to play it. You don't know how to play it, but now you have guidance on how to play it. So you're going to have the upper hand on me 100% of the time. Right. And I, and I love that idea. Um, I think that's a really great way to describe it. And I think consumers as a whole, (laughs) when they hear it from that perspective will understand that, okay, yes, if I used to be a coach or I've, I've had lots of training as a coach in the past or something like that, I might still be able to do it on my own, which is great. But I still have to go against another team and their coach, mm-hmm. right? So it's still a daunting task to go against somebody else um, when they have a team and a coach as well, right? So I, yeah. I love that reference. I think that's really good.
0: And I think the confusing part, and what they've what they've changed with getting rid of that customer service agreement, is I don't think that that was ever. Um, I think that experienced agents can help navigate that with their clients a little bit easier. And they're non-clients. They're people that are just like, no, I just want you to write the offer. And get, well, let me explain what that means, just writing the offer. Now we've, we've removed that whole step. And it's mm-hmm. much more clear on what I'm able to do in terms of just write me the offer. Like, even that element has changed. Like, they're, they're really pulling us back and being like, no, if that person's self-represented... You cannot consult with them at all on that offer. Like it's no. here's the form, fill in the blanks or take it to your lawyer, fill in the blanks. I can, yeah, I can provide um, services only in the step that are servicing my client. So if that means you come fill out the blanks as best as possible as you can, we take it back to my client. Now the coach is going to look at that playbook and say like, nope, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. They missed this. Let's fix this and then bring it back. That's how I can facilitate that transaction but again I'm doing it for my client not for you I may be giving you paper but it's for what's best for my client I think that part is probably becoming a little bit more clear hopefully is going to be much more clear than what it was in the past and based on agents responses so far in the fear of how do I work with SRPs and how do we disclose this and what can I say what can I not say I think that more agents are waking up to the necessity for clarity in that aspect yeah yeah, I love that.
1: And I think the key piece of this whole conversation is to remember that um, we didn't generally work with that many SRPs to begin with. Like, how many non-represent or self-represented parties mm-hmm. did we actually do deals with in in the history of being in real estate? Because yeah, very it's not. It, yeah, yes. I've done two in like seventeen years, right? So. It's not to say that people won't make that choice. They will, and they can, and they'll be more educated about what it means. And it creates clarity, which is education, which allows people to make better decisions, right? And I think that that's the best part that's come out of all of this. I believe most people are not going to choose that path. I don't think we're actually gonna have to deal with SRPs as often as it's coming up in the discussions we're having right now, because a lot of people are focusing on it and it's, it's, it's less, of a topic then probably dealing with the open bidding and the closed bidding and mm-hmm. how to structure an offer um, and some of those changes that are getting rolled out and, and that clause that people can put in that a buyer can choose not to participate in the open bidding and that the seller has to choose whether or not they want it to be open or not prior to the bidding commencing. That is gonna happen more in a heated market in our area than a self-represented party, in, yeah. in my opinion. and. But the clarity that the consumer is going to get about what their choices is when it comes to representation has become exponentially more clear with an SRP option versus a customer service option. So I I think it is in the best interest of both us as agents and for the consumer themselves to to understand what those lanes are. Because it was a bit blurred before, right? When we had customer service, it it was a little challenging to stay in the lane on that for Mm -hmm. the most part did it. But it was like, it was hard. People did ask for advice and did ask for guidance. And, you know, it's hard to tell people, I can't provide that for you, which we did, but it doesn't feel great. Whereas now it's like, well, you're either this or you're that. So it's yeah. a much simpler, more defined box, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's funny that we this conversations and even in the office and with the agents, SRP is such a big piece of our conversations and probably a small piece of our actual business, right? So yeah, if I I find that
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I think that what you're segueing to is an important part because I think it is the open bidding process so far that is probably the most unclear um, yeah. in terms of how it's going. I, I bet you like I would say that you can probably cut through a lot of the BS and understand like that the seller has the option to share any information from any of the offers if they so choose. There's a lot of gray area right now, people trying to understand, well, if you as a buyer want to participate in open in an uh, offer on a property where a seller wants open bidding, but you don't want open bidding, can you still have a, a viable offer? And that part's a little murkier right now. But I would say even that, just understand it's the seller's game. You actually don't have a choice. You either play by their rules or you don't play right now. That's yeah. essentially, I think, where we're, we're ending on that. And it will depend a lot on how this works out in a practical sense, like in the real world. How are agents communicating with their sellers? What are the sellers asking for? How are they notifying the agents that are involved? What kind of conversations are buyer agents having with their clients? And how are we going forward with that? So,
1: um, unless as a collective industry, all the buyers get together and just all agree, like nobody's, no, everybody put in a clause about not participating yeah. in the open bidding. Because if that happens, it, it makes it, it makes it kind of moot for the seller to even select it because nobody's going to participate in it, which yeah. potentially could be something that becomes a standard clause in all of our offers. Like, and I
0: think that that's a great point that you segue. to. I've already this. added that to ours. Yeah. But yeah. that clause that, does, that clause does not protect you from your offer being exposed. No, not at all. It can still be yeah, exposed. that's
2: actually the funny thing because, yeah. and somebody had said this, to, uh, you know, actually Dylan, it was with you when we were kind of talking mm-hmm. about it with John there. Um, he had mentioned, that I can put any clause into my agreement. I could put a clause in there that says the seller is going to give me a million dollars, Yeah. but until that seller physically signs it, that clause is not active. Right. Mm-hmm. And so by having a clause, and and again, we put it standard in our, our contracts. Now it's the second, second clause in our agreements and now it states that you cannot disclose the information. However, okay. that doesn't mean anything until yeah. they actually sign it now. It's- so that's where it becomes a little bit confusing. Right. It's
0: sending a good signal. I don't think that the clause is bad to have in there. I think that it's yeah. I think that it's good. Like it's letting the seller know your intentions and saying, hey, I don't want to play that way. Doesn't yeah. mean the seller has to play that way. And Mike, in our in our conversation that we had with John there, we talked about, well, if you send over an NDA beforehand, a non-disclosure agreement, and you get the seller to sign that, then you're protected. That's I'm perfect. The seller is now agreed. They're not gonna do that. The seller still has to agree to that though. It's great to come up with solutions, but at the end of the day, this is a seller's priority. The the legislation says that the seller gets to decide this. So as buyer agents, we can come up with the best practices that we can to give ourselves that leg up. But ultimately, for the time being, it's still up to the seller to decide if they're going to play that way. And So now
2: this is where it gets a little bit weird, and maybe this might be a time for another call. um, But uh, as part of my clause, I have written in there that if our offer is revealed... And the seller does determine or does want to work with us by revealing our offer to anybody. Our offer is now null and void. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you'd prove that they've shown that to anybody. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that process looks like. But by the material fact of them telling somebody about our clause or telling them about our offer, if they then then accept our offer. Technically, our offer is null and void, from what I would understand. But again, I don't know how that really works. There's there's
0: one point that you're missing there that has to happen is you have to scratch out the signed under seal sections on the signature page for that to be happen, Because technically, that signed under seal, that offer is not revocable. Just because you said it's revocable somewhere else, it is not revocable right? So you have to take that part out and then that clause becomes active. You still have to try and prove it. I don't know how you go about that.
2: I don't know how you'd prove it. That's my biggest thing is I don't know how you'd even prove that to begin with, but that's interesting.
0: the, The thought that they have behind it is if this is being done fairly, a listing agent is sending every agent that has their offer one email that goes to everybody. But now could a, um, uh, listing agent that doesn't have high morals or whatever you want to call it decide you know what I'm going to email Jen and Dylan about Mike's offer but I'm not going to email Mike on that email he's not going to get that I'm not doing a mass blast to five agents saying offer one is this offer two is that offer three is that because if they did that you would be like hey 560 that's my offer I know that 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 that's me (laughs) all right game over I'm out of here but if they sent that email to the other four you know, I I think that that's the downside of this open bidding is it does create murkier waters for the unscrupulous ones to to run amok, right? And that's a lot of why this legislation always comes in is because we play to the lowest common denominator a lot of the time. We play to the unethical ones. We play to the uneducated ones. We're like, how do we make this idiot proof? How do we make this evil proof, right? Because the good people that are operating at a high level, this isn't impacting us at all. We're still doing everything the way we always did to an extent, right? We're just now educating and explaining a little differently
1: so here's a question i have about this whole scenario though and i've been thinking about this a lot because with blind bidding which is what we've traditionally had where nothing is is shared about any of the other offers that you receive there's more control on the seller side like i know what the offer says and my seller knows what the offer says but i can create more uncertainty and bigger moves if the buyers don't know what's in the offer. So as a seller's agent, am I going to advise or discuss with my client or when I discuss with my client open bidding versus closed bidding? In my mind, I can't come up with a scenario where open bidding is in better service for my seller to get the best money Mm -hmm. for his property or their property because if it's open like that, let's say that email does go out. Everyone knows number one's at 580, right? Yeah. I don't know what they're buying at 580, but they're at 580. So what why would anybody go to 650 if they know they they're all going to go to 595? Yeah, or maybe 601 or 602 to try and squeak in above the rest. And these rounds can go on for an indeterminate amount of time. There's no like, OK, it's three rounds and we're out and best offer after three wins. That's that's not a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm is it not in the best interest of my seller to say let like, like uh, here's what happens in both scenarios but if it's blind that person that could go up to 650 is more likely to go to 650 when they don't know what's in those other offers because they're going to speculate and go back to that worst case scenario conversation we had earlier they're going to assume that the other offers are at 610 620 they're going to be mm-hmm. in that window so I see it as why would you advise your sellers or why would a seller choose an open bidding scenario when they could have blind bidding? I might be wrong on that. I just that's I what actually my have a
2: bit. circumstance that I could have loved to have had the open bidding. And the reason why is because we were <laughs> a seller. But before
0: you give your answer, just to kind of yeah. summarize that for everybody that's listening, is what Jen's getting at as a bigger point is, are we even going to see this come into play in the industry? Like, right. Is anybody going to do open bidding? Or the majority of them still going to be close bidding because that's the way that we got here. It's been a seller's market for 10 years, you know, with a couple little dips in the middle. But with with that market, we're now the legislation is trying to find ways to make it easier for buyers so that you don't have that one that blows it, it blows everybody out of the water. But they're still making it a choice for the sellers. So will the sellers simply choose not to participate in open bidding? Now, Mike's going to give a reason why a seller would participate in open business.
2: Yeah, so actually I have two, funny enough. So the first one was an actual personal experience that I went through in the summer. We had a listing that was for sale that we were holding offers on, and we got five offers that night or that day. Keep in mind, my client was 98 years old, okay? So very much she was not signing on an iPad or a computer. She was signing physically. So I had to be there in person with her. So what I did prior to that is I pre-negotiated all the deals. So I had all the deals come in, all five. I sent them all back for a second round. And then the top three, I sent back for a third round. Okay. So I've now gone three rounds. During that process, we ended up doing five rounds because the top two agents not only had the same closing date, but they also had the same exact price to the dollar, to the dollar. And in that circumstance, I would have loved to have said, Okay, we're switching to an open bid system. Here are the top two offers. This is what you guys have. Because at this point, I have done five back and forth. Both agents had said, we're not moving forward anymore. This is the maximum we have. And now I'm stuck with two of the exact same offers. The reason why it won, the the one person won, other than the fact of me flipping a coin, is because they had one clause in their agreement that said, the seller can leave all of their items in the home. Any garbage that they don't want, they can leave it in the house. And the kids of this 98 year old woman said, so you mean after today, I can shut the door, lock it, and never come back? And I said, yep. And they said, that's the winner. And I had to make a phone call to the other agent and tell her she lost because of that. Yep. And she was pissed. She yeah. lost it on me, like, like unbelievably yelling at me. And I said to her, I don't know what to tell you. You told me that was the most you could have done. And she said, well, why didn't you tell me we were the same? I said, I couldn't tell you that you were the same. I'm not allowed to, right? So there's nothing more I can do, right? Um, in that circumstance, having that open bid system, like where you started off blind and then opened up to an open bid system at the end would have helped me and probably my client get a little bit more money. Um, and the only other circumstance that I would see it being valuable is if as a buyer, if I have a buyer client and we like a property and there's one offer, sometimes buyers say, you know what? I'm not gonna compete. I don't wanna compete. I'm not in that game to compete. Well, if I call the agent and say, is it open style bidding? Because if you only have one offer and you tell me what the bid is, I might be able to actually bring you a second offer. Cause now if I go back to my client and say, Well, you're competing, but the offers at six hundred thousand, their offer's only five seventy-five. So they're actually below asking. So you don't have to go above asking. You just have to go a little bit above theirs. It might actually entice someone to go in to actually want to buy a home if they knew what the other offer was that they were against. That's really the only circumstances that I see it being valuable. Um to both buyers and sellers. But other than that, I agree with Jen. I I think as a seller, my main advice is going to be, especially in a hot seller's market to keep it blind, unfortunately, for the buyers. Sorry. I think what's going to happen.
0: I like, this is a, I think they made this rule thinking that they're helping buyers, but because it's solely the seller's decision, it's another tool in the seller's tool belt. They are only going to use it when it benefits them. They are not going to use it when it benefits any buyer. So I think the system is flawed from the get-go and we'll see how it plays out. You know, I'm yeah. I'm totally open to it. I think there will be people that that like it and people that don't and I think our our team and our KW culture and our PSN culture is definitely one of growth and being, you know, leading professionals in our field. So if these are the rules, we're going to play by it. We're going to learn how to service our clients better with it. We're not going to fear it. At the same point, I can look at it and say I think this is a flawed device. If your goal was to help buyers or help remove overpriced selling of houses in the market because that's what's been happening. And they look at it, well, you know, offer a outbid offer B by 75,000. Yeah. There's a chance it could remove that if you made it open bidding was mandatory on all because a seller can still do that with this new legislation. That's not going to happen. They're not going to expose that when they've got such an upper hand. Right. So I think that that element is still not necessarily going to change with no. What the impact of blind bidding has on the market
2: and yeah, on how especially prices. in a hot seller's market in yeah. a hot seller's market i don't think anybody would do an open bid i just think it would be yeah. against like it would just be stupid to do that yeah. this, there, will, to the blind. there will
0: be an opportunity for the seller to change it to an open bid later in the night just to yeah. benefit the one thing that they want to get that so, same top dollar with a good closing date type thing
1: yeah i, I do have a question on that though um my under, i could be wrong on this but my understanding was they had to disclose prior to offers being reviewed if they were doing open or not so mm-hmm. they i i was under the impression and again could be wrong that you can't change halfway through you have to decide prior to the negotiation starting is that
0: I, to my that, understanding it, that you can I change it at any point
2: you can change it, and at least from what I've heard as well. That rule might have changed in the in the coming weeks, coming yep. up to it, because, again, everything changes so quickly. But from my yeah. understanding as well, you could change it yeah. at any point. You could go blind, open, blind again.
0: <laughs> I think the – and, and all that was required from that, like from the, the course that we sat down and took when the area expert came to to brief us all on this, she said, like, yeah. that's the seller's prerogative. They can change it at any point. They can reveal what they want from the offer. Like, they can pick and choose. All they have to do is notify everybody in writing that that's what's going on. So it's a simple email out. This is what we're doing now. Here's the results. Um, And again, which is why I don't think that this process, I think that's why this process is going to have a lot of confusion, a lot of people being upset because rules are being dictated by one side of the party solely for their benefit. Um, It's going to
1: get messy with that because it's, it's making it more one-sided than yeah. than prior, because now they have control over distribution of information as well, right? Yeah. Which is not something it was either blind or you that was that before, right? Yeah. So and here's why.
0: Here's why I think that our industry um, is not is is almost like worse off because we have part-time realtors in it. I think that any profession is you. It's hard to say that the bar is really high when you have part-time people in it, right? Because It's just the reality of the situation. But the reason why I I truly believe that to an extent with this open bidding process is full-time realtors, that this is their profession, their business, and their reputation, they won't play games on offer night like that that's going to affect them down the road for their next client that they're trying to serve or their client after that that they're trying to serve. Whereas somebody that's like, I do one deal a year, two deals a year, I'm just trying to squeeze every last dollar out of this thing to make sure that it works they're going to be a little more willy-nilly with those guidelines and those rules. And, and I think that sometimes professionals on, on any field will look at guidelines and rules and be like, I understand the intent of this. I don't need to game this one. I can say like I'm playing within the rules and that's all well and great, but I'm also playing within the spirit of these rules that I'm doing this so that I'm not treating somebody poorly or that I am making it more fair. And I think that when you're not invested in something If you can find gray area to play in, you're going to do that, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not saying that pros won't play in gray area to serve their clients. I think they will, but I think that they're going to do it with the outlook in mind of like, this is my business, this is my reputation. And I understand the spirit of these rules and what we're trying to provide here as an industry.
1: And there's also the element that the part-timers aren't necessarily going to know any better. You're doing one deal a year, two deals each. How good are you going to be at executing the different types of scenarios like we see it now right prior to even tressa like you can tell an, a seasoned professional agent versus somebody who's doing this part-time we usually know from the first phone call we have with them just based <laughs> on dialogue and the conversations right so yeah. it's gonna play out in that scenario as well so we'll i guess to be to be determined how this is all gonna mm-hmm. go and i think we're gonna be in for a lot of changes over the next 12 months for sure
2: yeah, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: It, it makes sense that the Tressa topic would take us to 50 minutes, unlike our usual runtime. So I think that it's a, it's a good time for us to wrap up because we could talk Tressa industry changes all day long. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're looking to find us, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are PSN Coaching. The show is the Weekly Roundup. Um, that's Mike Russo. That's Jennifer Silbernagel. I'm Dylan Silbernagel. You can find us with PSN Coaching and Keller Williams Realty Centers in New Market Aurora. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week. Bye for now. Bye.